Hello, everybody. Welcome to the UK Packers podcast. As usual, I'm your host at Steve Diddy NFL on Twitter at the Paddy Packer on Instagram if you're so inclined. And it's um yeah, it's another off-season podcast. What's going on? Weird. Well, not weird. It's a testament to hard work and um, good broadcasting. But the last podcast is the listenerships went through the roof. Was it the jingles? They just like the jingles. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I was thinking, I'm falling off myself here, I was thinking about starting off the podcast, you know, hit you with a bit of news, hit you with some old-timey stuff. I'm going to do this podcast slightly different, mostly because when you look up Packers news, it's just a picture of a tumbleweed, and it's the sound of a tumbleweed, and it's just a tumbleweed rolling down the road, so there's no point in me talking about Packers news, because let's face it, lads and ladies, there's not... Um, a whole lot of news to talk about. Will I talk about the offensive line for absolutely no reason? I could do that. Will I talk about the camaraderie of the Smiths um, and uh, analyse what shoe size they wear? Or do I talk about Aaron Rodgers and what you know gel he may or may not use? I could talk about all these things, but I don't think that's what you want to hear. So I'm not going to bother. I'm going to get into some Packers scandal. I think I've talked about this before, but this kind of fits in with my old-timey paper round thing um and it's what's fascinated me and i've spent hours now just delving into it trying to find the truth but before i do that we have face masks for sale seven pounds fifty boy and you can get your membership number on them so they're fully bespoke and customized to you there's no pre-order on them once you order them uh we start making them up but there is like a two week it's usually quicker but there's a two-week lead in time to get your membership number on them if you don't want your membership number they're quicker so they come in standard size, large size, and then you can get the large size with a pocket for a filter. Filter sold separately. So you can get those off Amazon. But like I was saying last week, you can get like you can douse them in Listerine or whatever um, and do your research to keep yourself safe. Because from what I hear is that they're reducing the size of social distancing. Um, so, yeah, keep yourself safe. And we post them worldwide so you can get them in the UK. I'll post only three quid and that's up to I think five or six masks we can squeeze in there for three quid not bad and then we send them to Ireland where I am and then we send them to the, um, you know the states or anywhere get on the website check them out there's colours so we've got cheese style which is like the shorts I really need to take a picture of me the problem is I have to take a picture of me in the shorts I think that's the problem you know, do I do, uh, what's your man's name, Gavin Hanson, and um, wax my legs and then take photos and put them up? Or th- would that be advertising? Or would that be even worse? Did I say advertising? I digress. But there's the cheese style with the UK Packers logo on them. You can get them in plain green. You can get them in plain white. You can get them in plain yellow. Um, and you can get your membership number on them. Only for an extra pound fifty. You know, you just don't get value like that, lads. You don't get customizable stuff and value like that. You just don't get it. Anyway, uh, and on top of that, our trip is still up for booking. So if you have extra money, uh, because you all know how good Ryanair are good at paying out uh, from their cancelled flights. But when you eventually get that money, and I have that meme in my head, you know, it was 84 years from Titanic. But if you have an extra bit of dosh and you don't mind going abroad, well, then we still have our UK Packers trip. It's to go see the Packers take on the Eagles at Lambeau. Um, and there's a flight that goes from O'Hare to Green Bay. So, you know, it's going to be a snow game. 
It's going to be sexy and romantic. And I did get a question. Someone asked me, they said, look, if I'm going on my first trip to Green Bay and I've got an extra bit of cash, do I go this year? Does the cold make it prohibitive? Um, Me, I've got, does not a pick on me, as my nanny used to say. Um, So I I get get cold really easy. If you're going to go to a cold game, by all, for the Lord Lama Jesus, lads, dress for a cold game. And ladies, dress for a cold game. Now, they've got all the best gear over there, so don't go spending like a billion quid on North Face jackets over here. Get your arses over there and then get a, a taxi or whatever um, to any store uh, close to Green Bay, and they're going to do some serious stuff, um, all-weather stuff. I didn't particularly feel the cold because it was so dressed up. However, I did find the, the one tip I would say is get the seat covers for the seats to sit on because when you're sitting on your on your bum on those cold bleacher seats um yes it's romantic yes it's extremely sexy uh, but also once the cold gets in it doesn't get back out again it's green bay um but one thing i would say is is that i always wanted to see a snow game in lambo and i did and i'll remember it for the rest of my life it was fantastic but what i would say is if it's going to be your first game it's a fantastic game to go to but do dress warm by the lord lamb of jesus dress warm um, so yeah, that's still uh, making bookings. So we tried to get the group dynamic all the time for that one. So if you are interested, uh, hit up our website, go to the blog and go to the top article. And that's all about the pricing and how to contact Ben at Touchdown Trips or Google him, give him a call and Ben will sort you out. Tell him that we sent you and you put you down for the, the group pricing and the group trip. So they have to book group flights. So if you're interested you can put down your deposit. It's all fully refundable apart from a small fee um, that goes to touchdown trips for setting everything up. Now, what you can do is you can put down your deposit. If you feel squeamish about going by the time it, it swings around, um, you can always defer and push it off to a year when stuff, Jesus lads, hopefully is more normal at that stage. So anyway, masks, get them while they're hot. Um, and also the trip, you can contact Ben as well. Look, I wanted to talk about uh, a bit in Packers history, it's so interesting. So much history, so much folklore, especially early on in the Packers with Johnny Blood McNally and Don Hudson and Tony Canadeo and the Nitschke stories and Kramer holding the flag and the torch for Lombardi. Uh, Curly Lambeau and the story about how the team came about and how the team nearly folded a couple of times. Very, very interesting stuff. Um, a good friend of mine, I won't name him, I call him Mr. S. Uh, went and out of the blue sent me Arch Ward's book um, about the Packers, which I need to get to. I'm just finishing off some Patrick O'Brien stuff because I've my resolution read a book and just keep goddamn reading. Don't be flicking between 10, Stephen. Jeez. Oh boy. Um, so that's what I've been doing. So I'm going to get onto the Arch Ward book after. Now, as a history book goes, it's supposed to be mostly folklore and. Um, campfire stories under the guise of uh, journalism Arch Ward knew his stuff don't get me wrong uh, but Curly Lambeau fed an awful lot of that stuff and wrote an awful lot of that stuff apparently uh, which makes it even more fascinating to be honest because an unbiased opinion is fantastic but also when it comes to the team you want those nitty gritty sort of inside stories don't you so um, the history of the team is unreal but when it comes around Lambeau and that's what's really weird is that from speaking to Ralph Hickok who did the Johnny Blood McNally book um, and the way Johnny Blood and Curly Lambeau didn't really get along, uh, particularly at the end, 
Um, it was fascinating to see the dynamic of just how much Curly Lambeau kind of fell from grace, got too big for his boots um, or his saddle shoes, as I'll, I'll go on to say, and kind of fell out of favour. And it was amazing that they named the stadium Lambeau Field because it didn't end well with Curly Lambeau, um, Curly Hollywood Lambeau, for a number of reasons. You know, like this was a guy who was criticised saying that he didn't know a whole lot about football in the sense that he only spent a year in Notre Dame or Notre Dame, if you're Irish. Um, and, you, you know, all of this stuff about, oh, well, he learned under the best. But when you look at it, he only had a year. Uh, and that's what they were saying about it, is that it wasn't some sort of massive scholarship this guy was on. He went and played a year and then came home and decided he was going to work um, in the factory and, and not go back again. And then George Whitney Calhoun and himself get together, who he ended up falling out with. And this is not suitable for work, but Calhoun, by the end of it, said he wanted to live long enough to piss on Curly Lambeau's grave. So, yeah, that didn't really get along. That was the fact that, you know, Lambeau basically removed him from his role with the Packers, as well as the physician at the time. Um, and they got annoyed. And then, you know, it starts to sort of snowball and go downwards. On top of that, the players were getting old. Don Hudson retires, who I covered last week on the pod. So the team starts to get a really crappy losing record. And because of that, then everything goes downhill. But it all comes to a head in a bit of a scandal. And from reading it and from knowing about it for for forever, really, um, it's sort of described as a folly. You know, it was a folly by Curly Lambeau to do it. And, you know, when really, if you look into it, and particularly if you go back and look at the newspaper articles at the time, it did make some sense and the committee had to pass the the scandal, right? What I'm talking about is Rockwood Lodge. So this is the place you've probably heard about that saved the Packers. Um, and it's also the place you've heard about that burned down. And it's also still to this day um, a mysterious event because this cost the Packers a ton of money. It burned down and saved the franchise. In this season... The Packers had to play an intra-squad game on Thanksgiving, which none of them wanted to play because it was absolutely, they were freezing uh, their arses off. They didn't want to play it, but they knew they had to play it. And that game saved the Packers for the rest of the season because it paid for the rest of the of the season because they couldn't afford it. They, were, they literally, they were, you know, so close to folding, it's unbelievable. But the story is, is that Curly Lambeau fell in love with this place, Rockwood Lodge. And I wasn't close to Green Bay either. It was 17 miles up the road. So the Packers used to, uh, you know, practice within Green Bay, play in the Astor Hotel. They used to be around the town and that was great. But Curly Lambeau apparently fell in love with this place 17 miles away. Um, and I'll get into sort of the details and I'll read an article about the details as well. But part of the the draw to this place was is that, first off, and don't forget as well, Lambeau used to fly his players around which was unheard of at the time. I mean, you know, they used to have to get the train um, and everything else, but he started flying his player around and, and sort of operating at a totally different level. He was like Don Hudsoning, the head coach and general manager sort of role um, of the Packers back then. You know, he was the head honcho. So when it came to this, he was the first person to sort of have a dedicated training and practice area um, that was sort of self-contained. The idea behind Rockwood Lodge was to have a place that not only could the players train on, but that they could actually live. 
and work out and spend. Now, they ended up calling Rockwood Lodge The Rock from Alcatraz because they felt that they were all kind of stuck there and it was doomed uh, from the beginning. But there's something a little bit deeper than that. And I'm going to do this by reading out a really short uh, newspaper article from the time in May 1946 of when this was purchased uh, to give you a little bit more insight as to how it came about because all we're told when people retell the story is, oh, Lambo saw it. Uh, he was, you know, uh, Mr. Big Man and he decided to buy it and it, people got kind of annoyed, but he said, screw it and just, you know, went and, and bought it and people were going to resign or bold Lambo and the field was terrible. You know, they don't sort of understand what went behind it. But anyway, let me play this thing and then let me read the article. Here we go. So, so much peaky peeking in that thing. I'm going to have to record myself or one of my kids doing that extra, extra thing. Um, but anyway, so here's an article from the newspaper from back when they ratified it and they, they call it taking up the option. So this article is called Packers Take Option on Lodge. So it's May 22nd, 1946. The Green Bay Packer Corporation has taken an option to purchase Rockwood Lodge 15 miles northeast of Green Bay. L.H. Johannes, president of the Packers, announced today the lodge will be used as living quarters and possibly as a training site for the Packers with the 1946 season. Decision as to, as to the purchase of the lodge will be made at a meeting of the Packer board at the Northland Hotel Friday noon. It was decided to take an option on the purchase at a recent meeting of the executive committee composed of Johannes, A.B. Turnbull, F.J. Biro, E.L. Lambeau, E.R. Fisher, H.G. Wintjins, F.J. Jonay and Gerald F. Clifford and Fred liked. Uh, Joanna's announced that purchase of the lodge is being considered in view of the housing shortage. The entire team would be quartered at the lodge as well as wives of the players, excepting those with homes in Green Bay. Except, that's probably except those with homes in Green Bay. The lodge will be remodeled considerably inside to make more sleeping rooms. The lodge also has a large dining room and shower facilities. So behind all of this was a shortage of houses in Green Bay at the time. So this seemed like a bright idea because people couldn't get houses. So what they were going to do was is move the facility here, have everybody live there, the singletons and the married people. Um, and all go out there, live there. There was a dining room there. And then also they had a dedicated chef and caretaker that would look after the property as well. So they'd all live there, train there, practice there, and then go to the games from there. Now, this was a real stinker for the people of Green Bay because they, as they do today, they like the players being around. Um, they see the Packers as being part of the community and the fact that they're moving 15 or, depending on where you read it, 15 or 17 miles up the road in Rockwood Lodge um, annoyed them because they were not going to see the Packers again. And then on top of that, the Packers paid $32,000, which is fun to say as an Irishman, um, which is nearly 400 grand in today's money. Now, bear in mind that this was 1946, and unfortunately for the Packers, this was the same year um, that Don Hudson hung up his boots. So he wasn't playing anymore. And if you look at the actual records that the Packers were pulling out um, in these years, from these years on, really, it wasn't great. So 1945... Uh, Don Hudson, that's his final season. Um, you know, he pulls in obviously the most receiving yards. The Packers go six and four. And then in 1946, when they buy Rockwood Lodge, Hudson has already hung up his boots. The Packers go six and five, then six and five. But then in 1948, it's three and nine. And then in 1949, it's two and ten. 
So then in 1950, they're 3-9, and it goes 3-9 and 6-6 six, six and 2-9. When really, I, I read somewhere that, you know, with the loss of Don Hudson, the Packers only recovered when Lombardi came to town. That's how impactful this guy was, and that's why he got mentioned um, on last year's, or last year's, Jesus, um, last week's podcast, and why he's a favourite player of mine. Because not only did he change the game, he basically ran the Packers organisation um, for what they were, um, and the success that they had then, you know, not to downplay Arnie Herber and all of that. So it all sort of started to go wrong for the Packers on the field with Don Hudson's retirement, the fact that they couldn't get a good quarterback um, who could throw the ball. They had multiple people like Jacobs in there, um, but from all intents and purposes, um, from any of the players that sort of spoke of that time, they said that, you know, between quarterbacks being sort of outsiders, not throwing the ball a lot, uh, some of them had operations on their arm, so the throwing arm was rubbish. Other people just had terrible accuracy. Um, so it all started to fall apart for the Packers. This coincided with the fact that Curly Lambeau um, was getting up to his shenanigans. Um, he had serious notions, let's just put it that way. Um, so he ended up going off to California, spending more time in California, coming back. And I kind of annoyed the team that he was spending more time on his social life. Um, you know, he was wearing apparently, you know, nice fancy blazers with his silk um, you know, pocket squares and he'd got with, you know, these sort of uh, beauty queens and things like that. So when he came back and they spent nearly 400 grand on today's money on the lodge, he needed a further 150 grand to do it up. Now, bringing the bill to do it up to the board, they saw that an awful lot of stuff was unnecessary and it was very lavish. And that's what kind of annoyed them even more. More to the point that, uh, you know, some of these lads were going to quit. So there was a department store in Chicago at the time called Marshall Field. And that's where they got these sort of, you know, decorating consultants from. And that's what really annoyed them. On top of that, then they got a guy called Melvin Flagstad, um, who was the he was a cook, like a chef in Caps in Green Bay. Um, and, you know, this was a guy who sort of did gourmet food and uh Caps was kind of a, it's called as a Green Bay institution and in an article by David Fleming of ESPN. Um, and he brought his whole family to live there as well. And, you know, it, it was a real lavish sort of place that Curly Lambeau wined and dined people when they came in. But it was an unmitigated disaster for the sole reason that the field that they were there to practice on was awful. There was limestone underneath it. It was a fantastic area. And I pressed the socks off people uh, when he was bringing, you know, the commissioner of the league in and actresses and stuff like that in and Bear Bryant paid a visit and um, George Hallis frequented there as well so it was all well and good and Lambo was in his element there's all these photos of him striding out in his fancy shoes but when it came to the actual playing surface the players kept getting injured because Rockwood by name Rockwood by nature um, it was limestone underneath the field so they were getting shin splints they were you know turning their ankles on it they were getting grazes on it um, and they were spending time in the hospital for real and to the, to the extent that when I, once it got too cold um, it was basically unplayable so what he'd have to end up doing is, is busing the players into City Stadium and the softer fields around Green Bay to practice there because they simply couldn't play on Rockwood so it was an absolute disaster so all of this came together to coincide with the fact that the Packers were basically had ran out of money um, and there was even talk of Curly Lambeau saying that he had a plan uh, to rescue the team but it would involve uh, private investors so they'd be putting in I think it was something like 25 to 50 grand and that they'd have to make the team private from public 
And that was the final straw. And they were kind of like, look, you have to go. So he demoted George Whitney Calhoun um, and the team physician who were also on the committee. And there was an attorney on the committee as well who was friends with both men and, and drew up a contract for Curly Lambeau, uh, basically stripping him of all of his powers. And they tried to hand it to him at the uh, committee meeting. And he basically threw it back in their face and said, no, no, I'm not dealing with you. Emil Fisher handed it to him and said, here, um, here's your offer. If you want to stay on and coach, this is the story. And he said, no, see you. Um, so they had no money. They were dealing with Lambo, who they were calling the Earl of Hollywood um, at the time. And it was a bit of a scandal. Then throughout all of this, uh, and with the sort of, with Rockwood Lodge looming over them, all of a sudden in January 1950, it burns to the ground and it's been fully insured and the Packers end up getting $75,000, which is, you know, anywhere between 750 grand to, you know, 850 to 900 grand in today's money. It ends up saving the team. And this again was a time where the NFL were putting pressure on the smaller franchises and Green Bay looked a surefire thing to go. Part of that kind of coincided with Curly Lambeau's, um, you know, mooted solution to getting private businessmen to back the team because they thought they were going to move the team out west which again which is where Curly Lambeau was spending his time and um, so that's what they were concerned about so the Packers were under severe pressure looked like you know every opportunity in the world that they were going to fold and all of a sudden the place burns to the ground they get a ton of money uh, they use that money to save the franchise and the people get their team back so the rumour swirling around is that someone said the place on fire for the insurance money now depending on what historian or packers export or whatever that you talk to they have different versions of what happened if you talk to the flagstads who were actually in the lodge when it burned down they also tell a version of events but it's always been hanging around the team that and I know Fox 11 did a, a news article I think it's one of the only videos on YouTube that you could find about like oh in the Packers history is arson um so it still persists and that's because um there was there's a guy who has been told by a committee member that don't ask who burned down Rockwood Lodge because we can't tell you you know it's kind of like oh we'd have to tell you but then we'd have to kill you it's that kind of vibe um Larry Names who's written an awful lot of books about the Packers, um, he is convinced. He says, look, it's the most convenient fire that there ever was um, to happen, to save the franchise. So, of course, someone burned it down. But then you have Cliff Crystal, who says that it's absolutely outrageous to believe that it was set on fire deliberately um, and that there's no evidence for it. But strangely enough, um, and Cliff Crystal did research, so did the Flagstad's daughter, uh, for an article that she did with Cliff Crystal um, a number of years ago. Um, they did an investigation to see, you know, was there an investigation into it and what did they find? And there never was, from any evidence that anyone can find, that there never was actually an investigation into the fire. Which some people point towards the fact, look, it's an open-shut case. Um, you know, they paid out the insurance money. They surely had a, would have done something. Um but there's no evidence. It's it's a closed and shut case. It's just an electrical wire that went wrong is the assertion in the attic. And apparently there was an electrical fault and the Flagstad's daughter 
Um, and even Melvin himself came out and said, look, it was an electrical fault. The lights were always flickering on and off. To say the place cost so much goddamn money and mortgaged the Packers' uh, future against it and basically sent them down the swanee. Um, you know, and then it turns out that they, you know, the lights flick on and off sometimes. But he was saying that it was an electrical fault in the linen room and that they would flicker on and off. Um, but then you have other people saying, no, no, they definitely set that thing on fire. And there's even sort of this thing of it obviously wasn't one of the committee members that did it. They hired somebody to go and do it. And some of the coaches at that time said that that was the case. Uh, Tony Canadeo actually showed up when the place was ablaze. His actual quote was, hey, I didn't set the Rockwood Lodge fire, but I was sure fanning it <laughs> because the players absolutely hated the place. Now, I think another interesting thing that I can do, and because this is old timey paper time, it's a bit of a long one. But I'm going to read out the news report, which is, again, anytime you read about Rockwood Lodge, any of the details that's told about it is lifted directly from this article. So instead of me um, waxing lyrical about what other people have said about it, let me read out the article that was actually released in the paper at the time. Now, as I said, it's a bit of an earful, but I think it's interesting to, to hear these things word for word. So you know the story, and if you want to hang about, uh, let's go through exactly what the eyeballs of the people uh, in Green Bay, and I would say around the world, but I don't think it was that popular um, at that time, read on the morning of January 25th in the Green Bay Press-Gazette. Rockwood Lodge, Packers' quarters, burns the ground. Estimate loss at $50,000, which is covered by insurance. Cottages were not damaged. January 25th, Green Bay Press-Gazette. Possible faulty attic wires were blamed today by caretaker Melvin Flagstead for the spectacular fire which Tuesday afternoon levelled the Green Bay Packers training home, Rockwood Lodge, about 15 miles northeast of Green Bay on the Bay Shore. Frank Jonay, Packers secretary-treasurer, estimated the loss at $50,000, all of it insured. Today, only two twisted and cracked walls and a chimney remain to tell the story of the howling inferno which destroyed everything in the lodge, except a green Davenport. I'm going to pause in the article here. So apparently when this blaze was going up, uh, the flagsteads were still in the building. I'll go on and read that now. So they ran into the burning building and the only thing that they could take out was a green Davenport. And a green Davenport, by the way, for people that don't know, was a couch. So they rescued a couch. I mean, if you look up pictures of this thing, it's the place that's been gutted by a fire. And the only thing that's left on the front lawn is a couch. Um, and also, there was they also rescued a charcoal painting or drawing of Curly Lambo. But anyway, I digress. Back to the article. The five cottages on the grounds were not damaged. Helped by a 25 mile per hour wind, the fire shot out through the roof of the sumptuous building at 2.15. At 3.15, the roof of the two-storey rock and wooden structure had caved in, and at about 3.30, two of the walls buckled crazily and then tumbled down. I'm going to pause here as well. Crazily? Like, you just don't get journalism like this anymore. I digress. On we go. Jumped from second floor. Caretaker Flagstead escaped with his life, but suffering a three-inch slash on his left hand when he broke a window on the second floor. He leaped two stories into the snow when he was trapped after unsuccessful efforts uh, to put it out with a single fire extinguisher. 
His wife and two children, Sandra, nine, and Danny, 12, fled the flames with only what they had on their backs when little Danny found smoke at about two o'clock. Mrs. Flagstead left the house only in a house dress. Her two children fled into the snow without shoes. The only organised firefighting group who was present was the four-man crew from the Duquesne Lumber Company, New Franken. They arrived between 2.15 and 2.30 with a pumping unit on a trailer attached to a jeep with 600 feet of hose, which they didn't use. Quote, it was no use. Our job was to save the five adjacent cottages, but we didn't have to because the wind was in the other direction. As for the lodge itself, nothing could have been done to keep that fire down. Unquote, he said. Preble truck broke down, comma. A fire truck from Preble started for the fire but broke down about four miles from the scene when it burned out a bearing. Smoke billowed 100 feet high and the flames leaped 50 feet into the sky as about 40 persons stood grim-faced, unable to halt their spread. In the house when the fire started were the Flagsteads, their two children and Sandra, 12, and Donald Agamite, 9, children of the lodge's nearest neighbours. According to Sandra Agamite, the four were playing blind man's buff in a second floor bedroom. She said they needed a scarf for a blindfold and the young flagstead was dispatched to get one. As he stepped out into the hall, he smelled smoke, apparently coming from the attic. He screamed for his father, who raced upstairs and into the attic where he discovered flames. Flagstead then ordered the children out of the house and yelled to his wife to call firemen. After she had done so, she ran about 200 yards to Highway 57, where she began to flag down the passing cars. Flagstead, meanwhile, returned to the attic with a fire extinguisher. When he found himself trapped, he broke a window and leaped to the snow below. One of the first persons on the scene was Joseph Roser, 36, a Green Bay laundry owner of 215 South Webster Avenue, who had been flagged down by Mrs. Flagstead. He said he reached the lodge just after Mr. Flagstead had leaped to safety. Both then pulled a filled 100-pound gas tank away from the house to keep it from exploding and showering the nearby cottages with flame. Then went into the interior of the building. The only thing carried out was the green Davenport. Packer uniforms and other equipment, however, were safe in City Stadium. The new Frank and telephone switchboard operator had, in the meantime, put in calls to help to farm homes in the area. This brought about two dozen potential firefighters to the scene, some of them hopelessly inadequately ready for the inferno that they saw. One farmer said he wrenched his home fire extinguisher from the wall and immediately drove out. When he arrived, he said he did nothing because he couldn't. Lights had flickered. Ellen Flagstead, 19, working in Green Bay, heard preliminary reports uh, of the fire on WJPG. She drove out immediately. On arrival, she could not obtain details as to where her parents were and believing them dead, burst into tears. Her parents had left the scene in search of medical attention for Flagstead's badly cut hand. On his return, Flagstead was numb with what he saw. He stood frozen as onlookers yelled his name. He didn't acknowledge the calls for several minutes, apparently because of the shock. Later, he told reporters that he'd recently noticed that the lights at the lodge flickered. He blamed this on faulty wiring and said that such faulty wiring was the cause of the fire as far as he could determine. Quote, I always feared fire, and especially in the lodge because of its isolation. I was terribly afraid that in case of fire, that we would be in dreadful circumstances, unquote, he said. All the Flagstead belongings were destroyed in the fire. Harvey Lost, member of the Packer Executive Committee, offered the Flagstead's quarters in one of the five furnished cottages until a new home for them could be found. Back to Astor.
Destruction of the Lodge topped a controversy which revolved around the Lodge. Opponents of the Lodge plan have complained that the Lodge has kept players from townspeople and has been too costly. Halfback Tony Canadeo, who visited the fire along with fullback Ted Fritch, remarked, Well, I guess it's back to the Astor Hotel. The Packers used to live there and practice in the city stadium with hundreds of uh, watching. The lodge was built in 1937 by Norbertine Fathers under the supervision of Reverend F.X.J. Exter as a summer recreational centre for the Columbus Community Club. Construction on Rockwood started on May 13, 1937, according to the Press Gazette, filed and it was opened to the public on Columbus Day of the same year. Three months before this, on July 2nd, its barn had been destroyed by fire with a loss of $16,000. Packers bought it in 1946. Known then as Bayshore Lodge, it was officially launched with a landing day party for the Knights of Columbus and their wives. Originally, it had been planned to open the lodge on August the 1st. The Green Bay Packers purchased Rockwood Lodge from Frank DeMuse and Harry Dahl, co-owners, in May of 1946. The lodge and 53 acres of land were improved into a permanent home for the Packer players and coaches during the football season. The main reasons for its purchase for players when accommodation couldn't be had in Green Bay because of the housing shortage. Five cottages were erected for housing, married players and a practice field was built between the lodge and the highway. Packer Secretary Treasurer Frank Chenet said the loss in the building and the contents would run at about $50,000 and that it was fully covered by insurance. So every single article that you read comes usually from two places. One, from that one that I've just read and secondly, um, from Cliff Crystal or news sites kind of research and from talking to the Flagsteads. Um, and there's a pretty harrowing photo um, of the daughter who's mentioned in the article when she comes out to the lodge um, and she's screaming, crying. And underneath that photo, it says, believing her parents were killed in the fire, Ellen Flagstead, a right daughter of caretaker and Mrs. Melvin Flagstead, sobs in the arms of friends at the scene of the blaze. She heard about the fire while working in Green Bay and sped to the scene. Her father suffered a slashed left hand when he leaped from a second story window. So she's uh, apoplectic uh, looking at this scene. Huge flames coming from this place, believing her parents to have been dead because as per the article, they'd went off to get help. Um, so after that then, about the Flagstead family, there was another little small sort of blurb that said Flagstead family loses belongings. The Flagstead said that their personal losses will run between $3,000 and $4,000. None of it was insured. Presently, they are staying with the Reverend and Mrs. E.A. Beck, 735 S. Quincy Street. Every piece of clothing and every piece of furniture other than one Davenport was destroyed. Mrs. Flagstead borrowed a coat to go out this morning and her two younger children are walking in borrowed shoes. The furniture loss included a piano, a new radio and the living room set. In all, enough furniture to furnish a three-bedroom home was reduced to ashes. The Red Cross is making an appeal for those persons wishing to contribute furniture to get into contact with the organisation. So again... You know, all of these stories about that they burned it down deliberately. Uh, there's a couple of narratives that are out there. Number one is that they say, look, if it's faulty electrics, there wasn't a whole lot of pressure being put on the electrics at the time because it was only the Flagsteads um, and, you know, two kids that were from a neighbouring lodge that were actually staying in the place. So some of the sort of, you know, I don't know if you want to call them conspiracy theories, but they were saying that, oh, well, you know, how is there 
a fire if the electricity was at an all-time low and how did it spark up and set stuff on fire that must be proof of arson uh, then there's the flagsteads coming out themselves and um, you know Ellen is still you know I think she's she passed away now but she was under the impression only up to a couple of years ago that yes it was an electrical fault 100% she said Cliff Crystal is of the same opinion um, but on top of that sort of what goes against setting the place on fire deliberately was the fact that the Flagsteads lived there as did their kids so if someone was to set the place on fire you'd nearly get brought up on an attempted murder rap as well because you're setting the place on fire without giving um, you know the family notice and if it was some sort of conspiracy I would imagine there wouldn't be a very realistic looking photo um, of Ellen Flagstead outside the lodge believing that her parents had died and then the massive laceration to Mr Flagstead's left arm hand so you would imagine that you know, they could have done a better job at sort of pretending and if he set it on fire to run out and everyone to be safe and sound when that wasn't the case it was all commotion at the time um, but again sort of a calamity of errors too in the sense that the people that did arrive to put out the fire had a hose but sort of said eh, there's no point um, not that you could do a whole lot with an electrical fire anyway and then on top of that the fire brigade that was blew out a bearing and couldn't even make it to the place we're four, four miles away so again it kind of closed the chapter on an awful lot in Green Bay you know their financial troubles were over for the time being um, and then on top of that Curly Lambeau ended up resigning and walking away um, after the sort of debacle about trying to strip his powers and he went off and coached elsewhere and never got to the same success. You know, both teams ended up third in their division uh, between the Chicago Cardinals and uh, Washington Redskins. So just a fascinating chapter in Green Bay history to the point where there's still conspiracy theories that say, yeah, they definitely lit that thing on fire, burned that thing to the ground so that they could save the franchise. Um, either way, and it's a good thing that you know, well, you can see that the flag's dead. They've, they lost everything, you know, absolutely everything. Which again is credence against certainly him or any of his family having nothing to do with it. I mean, why would you incinerate a place um, and have all of your belongings burnt up that were uninsured um, as well? Not that I don't think he was ever under suspicion anyway, but I mean, one of the committee members or whatever. Um, if there's no investigation done and no one else was there but this family um, and obviously no cameras, before uh, long before those days um, no one knows no one knows what happens it's a scandal in Green Bay but uh, yeah fascinating stuff hopefully you found it fascinating too um, but there you go so uh, I'll be back next week as usual I don't leave you during the off season and this could be a damn long one as well if the season doesn't get back underway um, with all this coronavirus stuff but anyway I hope you're staying safe I hope you're staying healthy out there uh, me personally, I look like Tom Cruise from The Last Samurai because uh, I've um, got exceptionally long hair now. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, that's it. You can follow me at NFL at the Paddy Packer on Instagram, at the UK Packers on the group accounts. Get yourself a face mask. Uh, if you are you know feel safe enough to go traveling, go on our group tour um, and hopefully we'll be getting some meetups together um, as soon as we can as well, uh, depending. So, anyway, that's it. Talk to you next week. Bye.